Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, a slight tangent, the crappy quiz, and you had to be there. You have to be there, like, but I wish I wasn't there. (laughs) (laughs) Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. The News Round on Off the Ball with Gillette. Start your day in flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. This is News Talk. It is Thursday's Off The Ball. Nathan with you until 10 o'clock. We've got a busy show ahead. Joey Carberry is not in the Ireland squad for the Six Nations. We'll be talking about that with Rory O'Connor after 8 o'clock. John Giles is with us to look back on all the week's football and look ahead to tonight's football as well. A big game at the Etihad. Manchester City against Tottenham. No Kevin De Bruyne or Phil Foden in the Manchester City side. And we're going to look at Leeds as well on the football show. And we're also going to talk about uh, abuse in Canadian gymnastics. We've touched on abuse in American gymnastics and I'm sure lots of people have seen that Athlete A documentary that is well worth a watch if you haven't seen it. And now similar cases emerging in Canada. So we're going to talk about that after 8 o'clock as well. Arthur O'Dea is with us. Good evening, Arthur. Evening, Nathan. Uh, Richard McCormick should be there as well. Good evening, Richie. Lads, how are you? Uh, all good, all good. Uh, Curtis Fleming is going to be with us as well on the football show, uh, former Ireland international. He's currently the assistant manager at Bristol City. He's going to talk to us about this story of John Yems, uh, which has really taken off in the last couple of days. It was earlier in the month that he was banned from football for 18 months after being found guilty of racist abuse towards his players. He was immediately suspended uh, by his club. But the FA report was properly released earlier this week and it found that he used offensive, racist and Islamophobic language. He joked that a Muslim player was a terrorist called black players Zulu warriors I referred to an Asian player as a suicide bomber. Um, just a long long litany of really atrocious behaviour. Uh, remarkably uh, the FA Disciplinary Committee accepted that Mr. Yems is not a conscious racist and this is in their report Mr. Yem's banter undoubtedly came across to the victims and others as offensive racist and Islamophobic so we're going to talk to Curtis Fleming about uh, the 18 months and about the decision uh, by the investigating committee to describe him as not a conscious racist and also what dressing rooms are like and what uh, how common is this sort of language in dressing rooms Uh, John Yem's uh, the former Crawley manager was on TalkSport uh, this morning. So you would expect after, as I say, there's a long, long litany way past what I've just described there of abuse um, that he inflicted on young players in his dressing room. You would have thought maybe there was a bit of contrition when he appeared on TalkSport with Jim White this morning. It turned out anything but. Well, let's bring it right up to date, John. The commission accepted that you are not a conscious racist. John, what would you say to people this morning who'd push back on that, who would say, John Yems, we know what you are. You're racist. Um, listen, to be quite honest with you, I don't know where this conscious racist is coming from because it, it was, to me, it was cut and dry. And I, I don't really know the meaning of that. I've got to be quite honest with you. I'm not trying to be a ficko here. I just don't know what it's all about. I'm dragged through the worst experiences of my life in my total time in football. I've worked with black players, I've worked with white players, I've worked with every race, I've worked in most countries. And some of the things that I've been accused of saying, to me, to me, okay, some of them may be, they've said that I used old-fashioned language. 
I totally agree, but if that's the case, then that's the case. But it wasn't for me to be racist. Saying that to me when I was growing up, that's a terrible, terrible thing to say to somebody. And it's so easy to throw them accusations, because you throw enough mud and guess what, it will stick. And I find that very offensive to people to say I'm racist. But John, do you you not accept that you've done something wrong, uh, particularly in terms of language that you've, you've used in the past? Um... No. No. The thing that I've done wrong has been highlighted to me, and it's shown me now that there's certain things that you can't say and do. Well, so be it. If that's the, if that's the rules now, and if that's what we're supposed to do, then let people know. Is there anything you want to say this morning, John, to anyone out there who still thinks John Yems, no, he's a wrong-in? Uh, <laughs> um... Well, people do you want, do you want to apologise, John, for any offence that people, you people, clearly have people caused? Are out there. People are out there, they're going to say what they're going to say. People are out there and going to think what they're going to think. I'm only saying to you, have a look, I wasn't found to be racist. I never use racist language with intent. If anybody needs an apology, I think I do. The amount that I've, the abuse and everything that I've been getting, when people haven't even had the courtesy to ask me, I don't think nobody's even looked at the case with any any open-mindedness. And I think if you go in there, there's a few apologies that should be coming my way. Yeah, that's uh, John Yems, the former Crawley Town manager. Uh, It'd be funny if it wasn't so serious. Uh, A long line of people, I'm sure, ready to apologise to John Yems. Uh, One player who was of Asian and Irish descent uh, ended up basically feigning illness to get out of the club so that he wouldn't have to go in and face the banter. As it's described in the report, uh, he used to get slagged off every day about eating curry by John Yems. Uh, So Curtis Fleming's coming up on that. To see all this written down, Richie, and it is a long, extensive report, and for the FA to somehow come out and say that he is not a conscious racist, and if they had said he was... Uh, if he was a conscious racist, uh, it would have been in all likelihood a lifetime ban. Instead, it's just a 18-month suspension. It's hard to see how he would work in football again, though, uh, with all of this being out there. Uh, it is, it feels, time and time again when we talk about racism, the authorities <coughs> who are letting people down, that when yeah. it comes to actually punishing the racists, they won't go and do it. The interesting thing in the light of this is the FA were clearly unhappy with the language that was used in that report by the independent uh, authority here and are deciding to pursue legal action, it would seem, after that for the use. And it all stems from that term, uh, conscious racist. I'm flabbergasted listening to that interview, to be honest with you. It's it's uh, astounding that somebody could lack that level of self-awareness. Um, but he seemed to, talking to Jim White there, seemed to think that there should be a list of things that he can't say anymore, which is perverse. Um, I think not necessarily the length of the report, going through the report, and I've I've read decent chunks of it there over the last few days. It's not necessarily the language he used. It's the continued nature of it. Mm. And it was, it was over and over again and the same types of things being said to uh, players of, of different minorities. And it's just, it can't stand. And for anybody to try and defend, at least of all himself, is perverse, uh, to be quite honest. And I hope... He hasn't got a future in the game. Uh, if he does, he needs to learn some lessons fairly sharpish. Um, but if anything, is football has proved over the last while is that it will let uh, worse people than John Yems pursue their career in it, um, even after bad things have come to light. So, yeah, God knows what the future holds for him. Hopefully it's not at a, at a high standing because 
there's a lot of young players can do without having a coach like him. It, it was in that independent report decided essentially, Arthur, that while he may have said racist things, that doesn't necessarily make him a racist. And there's a lot of talk of his old school like within the report that there's a sort of old school would accept himself. He has an industrial use of language and he's a little bit old school. And as you heard there from the interview, how was he to know? Yeah, that's but there's something peculiarly stupid about that. Like in terms of what, like conscious racism. So I mean, what, what the, the idea being that it's subconscious racism, unconscious racism. Like it's it's unbelievable that like it's just it's like it's so thick, it's so stupid that they'd come to a conclusion that like we'll go with this. I will say this, and that'll kind of that'll veer the lines. It's fine. It's part of a different age. It doesn't matter because. I, <laughs> As you were saying, it's the continuation of the, or sorry, as Richie was saying, the continuation of all this abuse and also the variety of it. Mm. You know what I mean? Like this isn't someone who's not thinking. This is, this is. It's not. There's no sense you're saying it's clever, but he's not. He's not just saying the. You know, this there's a. Uh, and it, it went past banter. Is yeah, the other thing just, that uh, Curtis Fleming. Uh, it's it's all up online now, and you can listen back to it. And he's he's brilliant. He's so considered in the way that he talks about this. Yeah. That. If you have a player refusing to come to training, feigning illness, like, firstly, that's bullying. And then when it's said in the tone and the racial overtones and undertones that it's used with, then it is racism. You can't say that it is somehow an unconscious thing. But, and I'm wondering about that, exactly what you're saying with regards, I suppose, the, the figures who have authority to punish such behaviour but ultimately choose not to. Do we know why that is? Is that, like, is it just... I suppose is it, is, it a, is it a fear that ultimately you'll bring litigation back on yourself that it's so hard probably like these things to prove or to kind of you know because I presume like I know the over and back in the reports about the report is about that the kind of things that were reached between um, the panel and his legal representative so obviously it's kind of I, I suspect is that is that what it comes down to the fact that you just you're fearful that you'll get sued back or something to that degree that that was as far as they could legally go like it's just pathetic like and and hopefully like I, what I'm struck well, by, it, it ends up with the manager being able to go on national radio in the UK saying I'm the one who deserves an apology here. It's like that moment. You ever see? You ever see Frost Nixon? Mm. You know that moment where they have it laid on or whatever, and Nixon says that thing about uh, you know uh, to paraphrase it like if the president does it, it's not a crime, and they're all like, oh my god, we got him. And it's like it must have been like that in those offices today when they think like oh, does it me? I deserve the apology. I was like, are you crazy? It's oh, it's unbelievable. I don't know how no how anybody couldn't how he allowed himself or was allowed to go on there anyway it's just kind of it's it's beyond bizarre what good he thought would come well, of it a complete lack of self-awareness uh, 53106 is the text number so Curtis Fleming is coming up after 9 o'clock on the football show we'll have Adam Pope as well uh, talking about Leeds and um, some rumours though they were uh, quickly beaten down by Jesse Marsh that there was a, a revolt from within the dressing room uh, so we'll talk about that and we'll also touch on Leeds with John Giles who's coming up at half past seven uh, Rory O'Connor is going to be with us after eight so the Ireland squad for the Six Nations has been announced and no yeah. doubt about the big story no Joey Carberry yeah, I think uh, most of the preview pieces in the last 24 hours were suggesting there were going to be four out halves named by Andy Farrell today. Not so, just three of them. And Joey Carberry, the most notable absentee from that Ireland squad named for the Six Nations. The trio of out halves included by Farrell are Jonathan Sexton and his support cast of Jack Crowley and Ross Byrne. There's a first call up for Leinster's 21 year old centre, Jamie Osborne. Gavin Coombs earns a recall in place of the injured Max Deegan. Robbie Henshaw and Robert Balakoon miss out through injury. Uh, also included there today, Joe McCarthy, who comes in in place of Ulster's Kieran Treadwell. 
I don't think anyone saw this coming. Uh, the, the conversation. We, what have we wasted all this time having this conversation for the last three years about whether Joey Carberry can step in for Johnny Sexton and Joey Carberry may not even be there now when it gets to the World Cup. Uh, he's been in every squad when he's been fit since back in 2016. So this did come out of the blue. And yes, there's been questions about form and you know taking off after an hour at the weekend for Munster. But the fact that I think Jack Crowley in particular has played. Uh, such a small amount of rugby at out half. Uh, Ross Byrne, it feels, is the form man for a lot of people. Um, maybe he did enough with that last kick uh, in the last game against Australia that they feel, you know what, we've seen enough. He's continued that. He has a relationship with Jameson Gibson Park as well. They spend a lot of time together. Maybe it's a kick up the backside for Joey Carberry. Yeah, like, That's been the frustration with Carberry. Carberry has never, never had someone come on and go, well, actually, Carberry's pushing Sexton. Yeah. But does, that- he, need, does he need a kick in the backside at this stage? That's like because I thought he was he's playing okay, you know. I don't think anybody could look at him his last few games and say he was playing poorly and didn't deserve a call up. I mean, I think a lot of where the they want to cut across here, Arthur, a lot of what the uh, four out half talk was was there was taken as such fait accompli that Carberry would be included. That when talk of Ross Byrne was floated, it was just like, oh, he must be bringing four, mm. and he's not. Now clearly he wants somebody, and you look at the center options in there, and you look at the lack of Robbie Henshaw, he wants someone in there who can cover center. And that's understandable. Um, and perhaps Joey Carberry isn't that player. But I don't know if a kick with the backside is is what's intended here. I think it's just basically picking three out halves based firstly on form and secondly on Crowley's flexibility. We can't write him off because, well, firstly, injuries uh, can happen at any stage. Uh, but if he doesn't get back in through the Six Nations, there's only the few warm-up games before the World Cup. And... The disappointment of from where Joey Carberry was five, six years ago. We felt we'd be past Johnny Sexton now. We'd be in the Carberry era. Like it is it is a massive sense of just being quite underwhelmed by it. Johnny Sexton's seen off his predecessor and his proposed successor. Like, <laughs> it's incredible. Like, yeah, like I don't know enough about these things, the ins and outs of it, but like What's the likelihood then of, I presume during the Six Nations, you can be, people can be drafted? In I think they'll, there'll be changes uh, every oh, week. Yeah. Yeah. But you'd expect these, unless there's any injuries, these three will be the three for the first two games. It's quite tough. It must be quite embarrassing if he's not, if it all is as it is. Because as you're saying, like no more than everyone, God almighty, like listen to between OTBM and off the ball, that discussion's been had a fair amount with that kind of, when will he, when will he assume the position? And then just to be in the very last kind of hurdle, like as you're saying, there's only about six, seven games left before the World Cup starts. Just to be cast aside, like that's pretty brutal. I'm still going with the idea that we just play Sexton in every possible game and hope for the best. Yeah. Screw a succession plan before, between now and the World Cup. <coughs> every game he's available for, just play him and then pray to God that Ross Byrne or Jack Crowley can step up when it comes to it if he ever gets injured. Roll the dice. That, yeah, that, that, that thing about swaddling him in cotton wool and, and the thing of, like, you know, oh, if we rest him against, you know, say Wales, then he might be available the week down the line. She might get injured in the next game anyway. Uh, you know, he might as well, if he's, if he's available, play him. You know he's going after the World Cup anyway. Get to the World Cup and know we're going after that. you got yourself another four-year cycle from which to build. So go from there. Listen, could he stay away till 4.05 a.m. in the morning playing rugby Johnny Sexton at his age? <laughs> I'm not sure. Andy Murray. Uh, uh, at first I thought this was a repeat. I went at 5 <laughs> yeah. o'clock. At 5 o'clock. So they'd nearly be finishing up at Wimbledon yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> at 5 p.m. this evening. But they were still playing at the Australian Open at 4 a.m. 
Yeah, God bless the uh, the covers and the lights and all that kind of stuff at uh, the Margaret Court Arena. It was five past four in the morning in Melbourne when Andy Murray finally put his Australian Open second round match to bed. He came from two sets to love down to beat Tanasi Kokonakis in five sets, having played the longest match of his career at five hours and 45 minutes. Murray says it took incredible determination to get over the line. But I think now I'm outright the most matches coming back from two sets to love down. So I have done it um, before I have experience of it and yeah just rely on that experience and that drive and that fight and my love of the game and competing and my respect for this event and the competition and that's why I kept going uh, 5 hours and 45 minutes so the longest match of his career uh, that means Richie they still started after 10pm at night yeah they did what's the thinking uh, I I <laughs> It's not the uh, the only late night finish. This is the latest, I think, by far they've had this week. There were two AM finishes and, and half one finishes uh, so far. It's it's not good to be honest. Like whatever about the there was a magnificent um, show put on by the two of them. They both leaned into the game. Murray was fantastic in in trying to win it back from two sets. Love down and putting up an incredible fight. The stragglers that were left inside the Margaret Court Arena made for a wonderful atmosphere. But it's not like it's not right. It's not right to be playing. Uh, elite sport at five past four in the morning when you started at ten pm when you've probably been readying yourself and they were the last match due on court on Margaret Court uh, when you've been readying yourself since the middle of the day it like, it doesn't make for uh, it doesn't it, it's it's not it's not good conditions for anybody involved for the players for the umpire for the line judges who are trying to judge calls at three four in the morning <laughs> yeah. um, like and, and then the crowd all like moving at hundreds of miles an hour what the like, just uh, happened out I think what? I don't know I was I like, scratching my eye but it's it's it and the people who are working in and around uh, the the centre centre there in Melbourne <laughs> I thought of that. like it's just not good like and it, and it has to stop and. I know they've got a schedule and I know they've got to get things done, but there would be would have been no harm in, you know, seeing where this was going at 10 p.m. and calling it a night um, because I have a before, before they even took to the court. And that's it. And we're done. The end. It should be. Andy should Murray be at one stage, uh, he, he, he'd used up all his toilet breaks, uh, but wanted to go again and they wouldn't let him. He's like, it's three o'clock in the morning <laughs> and I can't go to the Jacks. Like, three o'clock in the morning. Do we know when he's playing again, Richie? Uh, he'll be back. What day is today? He'll be back again on Saturday for his uh, for his third round match. Roberto Bautista, good. Yeah, it's already Friday there. <laughs> perfect for us. Just nice uh, Thursday afternoon yeah. viewing. Uh, Djokovic. Uh, yeah, he says he's worried by his lingering hamstring injury. He needed to take painkillers during the course of his four-set win today over Enzo Quaco. Next up for the nine-time champion is Grigor Dimitrov. Once that hamstring injury calms down, of course. Well, I'm, I am worried. I mean, I cannot say that I'm not, um, and I have reason to be worried, but at the same time, uh, I have to accept the circumstances and try to adjust myself with my team. And I've, My physio and medical team has been doing everything possible so that I could uh, be able to play every match. So... It's not not much more to talk about, you know. There's two choices: or leave it, or keep going. So, I, I'm going to keep going, and uh, I'm, I'm going to try to play and compete uh, with, uh, of course, a great player, Dimitrov, in a couple of days' time. Uh, I know that matches are only going to get tougher for me from here. Uh, last, sorry, two years ago, I had kind of similar circumstances. Um, 
here in Australia uh, with a different muscle that uh, that um, where I had a tear and I had to deal with that. But somehow I, I uh, pushed it through and, and won the tournament. Uh, but it's different now, obviously. I don't know how my body is going to react. I hope for the best. I hope for the positive outcome and I'll take it day by day, match by match and see see how it goes. Bad day for the second seeds? Yeah, Casper Ruud was beaten in four sets this morning by the American Jensen Brooksby. Eight seed Taylor Fritz lost in five to Alexei Popperin. And the 12 seed Alexander Zverev lost in four to the world number 107 Michael Moe, whose mother hails from Monaghan. We won't hear the end of it from Shane Hannon. And not a good day for the number two seeds, as you say, with Ange Jabeur losing her second round match in three sets to Marketa Vondrusova. Ninth seed Veronica Kudermetova also lost in three to the American qualifier and brilliantly named Katie Volinets. Uh, but fourth seed Caroline Garcia, fifth seed Arena Sabalenka and twelfth seed Belinda Bencic all progressed today to round three. So I mentioned at the top of the show there is live Premier League tonight. It's a big one. The two teams beaten in the derby at the weekend um, meeting at the Etihad. Yeah, Manchester City looking to trim Arsenal's lead at the top to five points. Pep Guardiola side entertaining Tottenham kickoff at eight o'clock. Ederson is in goal for City. Uh, they've then got Rico Lewis, John Stones, Manuel Akanji and Nathan Ake across their back four. It's a midfield trio of Rodri, Ilkay Gundogan who captains the side and Jack Grealish and Riyad Mahrez and Julian Alvarez are in support of Erling Haaland. For Spurs, Hugo Lloris is in goal. Emerson Royale, Christian Romero, Eric Dyer and Ben Davies are their back three. Uh, Christian Perisic is on the left, or is in midfield, pardon me, alongside Pierre-Emil Hoiberg and Rodrigo Bentancur and Dejan Kulisevsky and Hyungmin Son support Harry Kane. Yeah, this game sort of just crept up after all the excitement of the weekend. But with Arsenal eight points clear and City just sort of stumbling along even before the World Cup, like, any more drop points and like, Arsenal suddenly get to a position where, is it unassailable? Is it like, what's unassailable? What's unassailable these days? 12? Something that doesn't involve Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, there is a little bit of that. Uh, so he's going with Haaland and Alvarez up front tonight. Yeah, it's funny. Fine. I wasn't. I don't think. I don't think I've been on. I was at the match on Sunday. United Saturday, City. even Saturday, Saturday. Yeah, yeah Saturday, you were right, at the Manchester Derby. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny how ineffective. Now I quite, I quite thought Grealish was good when he came on, but it was funny how ineffective um, Phil Foden was, just on that left hand side where you're kind of sitting. You're right behind him. It's not too surprising. Not to see. Like it, it was just. It was like mm. night and day from what you see from him normally. Certainly when you're watching from afar, how quick how everything was. But now, be that. Aaron won Basaka or something more I think it's probably something more widespread than that because he's just not been playing great but it's um, I don't know they're, I, they're, not, they're not getting the balls to those from three as no. quickly and what? getting them into the position like the thing about watching City generally is it's repetitive it's yeah. every game looks sort of similar because they're going through similar motions and they all move into the same place at exactly the right time whereas watching them over the last few weeks none of that is happening well it's astounding how and to be fair, they're risky passes in theory, certainly as opposed to playing it square, playing it off to the way, like you're a fullback coming up. But it's incredible how often they don't bother even trying to hit Haaland with those runs. Because he never stops. Mm. He's always going, he's always moving, and they just don't try it at all. Which is all, it's very, very odd, because that didn't seem to be the way at the start of the season, really. I mean, I don't know. I, this is an interesting team tonight, because if you look at the bench, actually, they have what you could argue is their first choice back for Kyle Walker, Jao Cancelo, Ruben Diaz, Emmer Taport, all yeah. on the bench. Kevin De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, Phil Foden, who you would say are the three best attacking midfielders, yeah. all on the bench as well. Uh, it could well be, and you assume Guardiola just trying to shake it up a little bit and find something 
that will click and get them back into gear again uh, but from a position where usually you look at Manchester City and Tottenham and go this like this could be an absolute cracker at the moment it's sort of who breaks first yeah I think I still think City will beat them they could beat them well enough. It's that kind of thing. Look, I, I don't know, because we're all kind of like preconditioned. As you, Richie's kind of saying there, with you half expect Arsenal to slip. You still half expect at the same time. It's City, a slip well, back City, in no, for City. City. You know City could win 10 games in a row. They've done it so many times. I, I, I feel I'm getting less conditioned to Arsenal slipping up. Yeah. Though a large part of me, just for the drama of it, wants... You know, you always want the blow up. I always say this with the golf. You know, it, you could be the <laughs> nicest, the world's nicest man. But if you were to give me a choice between... Any golfer winning a tournament by six shots or that person blowing up in the last hole, give me them blowing up in the last hole, just for my entertainment, just so I'm sitting at home enjoying it. It doesn't matter about the pain they're going to go through for years to come. I kind of feel like that with the, with the football as so well. So you like seeing the swoop? You see I the like seeing the in. devastation, <laughs> the, you know, the, the bottling it. That's what I live for. Good. Suddenly feeling less comfortable about you being my line manager. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I need to set you up for the fall first, Richard. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, uh, leave, leave us leave us with one story then because Mick is back. They're getting the gang are getting back a, together. Are we getting are we getting a Mick McCarthy impression here, Richie? Uh, listen, I'm back in the game. Uh, Mick McCarthy has indeed returned to management. The former Republic of Ireland boss has been appointed by Championship strugglers Blackpool until the end of the season. Blackpool sits second from bottom in the Championship, and they sacked Michael Appleton this week after last week's two 0 defeat away to Watford. McCarthy will be assisted as ever. By TC Terry Connor. I wish Blackpool as a launch video just had TC sitting by the phone, sort of going through his day, <laughs> reading Mick's book, looking longingly at Mick, and the that, that's a great idea for them. And then eventually he's back. Oh, good TC, God. it's great. It'll be great. And like it was funny talking to our Mick McCarthy earlier. He's just kind of talking about the fact that this is going to be just too complicated when you're going back. Manager Mick is going to be the fact that he just keeps coming back. There's no reason for him realistically to be doing this, just other than the thrill of it. Well, people don't want to be just sitting around. Mick McCarthy's not a man who wants to be sitting around doing nothing all day. No, but I'm sure there are other ways he could fill his time. Ah, this is, you know, Mick crouched up against the side of the dugout. That's where he's at his happiest. <laughs> That's where we're all at, his, at our happiest for Mick. It's good oh, to have him back. Richie, thank you. Nice and Arthur, thank you. Cheers, Nathan.